Father, we are safe and secure in the truth that is your love. Father, there's nothing that sets us on the right path. There's nothing that brings us into an upright stance. There's nothing that brings us from our sin into forgiveness than knowing that you wait with open arms with the love that you have for us. Father, change us with that today, we pray. We know that your word is, a, is spoken out of love for us. The commands, uh, all that that you have for us there. Father, bless Pastor Justin as he's going to bring that to us this morning. Help us to receive it for what it is, for an act of love, a gift of love for us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, happy Mother's Day. You glad to be here this morning? If you're sitting next to your mom and she asked you to come, you better at least pretend. All right? <laughs> hey, I, I wanted to just remind you, there's a great photo op on the way in. I know you've been told that, but uh, you will get an opportunity for Mother's Day uh, celebrations out there. Make sure you get your uh, flower, uh, that you get a chance to take pictures with mom. I know that we're in the, uh, the end of a missions series, and it may seem like uh, uh, it's an incongruent Sunday, right? Uh, how, how do missions and Mother's Day go together? And I was just thinking about this uh, for a few moments. You know, uh, Mother's Day at Salem Heights has changed. It's changed in its emphasis uh, from the years that I've been here. I can remember back in the old auditorium, everybody, anybody from the old days here? Remember meeting up there in that place? Yeah. It's like a thousand of us crammed into a space for 80. It was all hot. And I can remember we would ask a series of questions and have mom stand, and it was always uncomfortable, wasn't it? And in the old days, no. <laughs> in the old days, though, we used to actually ask the question, who here is the oldest mom? Yeah, I know. It seems uncomfortable just saying it now, right? I'm glad they didn't record it. Uh, that was our day. We were just excited that you were still alive and had survived motherhood. <laughs> but w within a short season, we were thankful for the, some of the young families that were here, and we had who was the newest mom. And then I can remember an exciting time as we had more young families beginning to come, and many of you came to church during that season, and we would ask uh, different questions for new moms um, uh, that were here. We tried to be a little bit more relevant, but still we were asking questions. And I can remember we were focusing on what it meant to be a mom and the celebration of Mother's Day, and it, that is a gift. But one of the things that was really significant to me this last week was I actually heard from somebody that's going to be in attendance. Uh, actually, the testimony came up two different occasions that I started to come to church here a short while ago, and I met Jesus Christ. And he has so changed my life that this Mother's Day, I get to spend Mother's Day with my kids for the first time in a long time. A lot of times what we focus on uh, with our faith is, because of Christianity, what do I get? We quite often sell Christ, don't we? 
as this is what you'll get to experience. This is what you get to participate, uh, and we, we sell it as if you are missing something. But how awesome is it to be thankful for all that he has repaired? It's not just about what you're missing, but it's about reconciliation, that God is a God that can repair, not just give second chances, but renewed life. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Yeah. So what we're going to take a little time talking about this morning is how you can participate in that same kind of reach that goes out, the love that is on display, not just in the church and in our community, but can go around the world. Everywhere that you go, you get to share that message of reconciliation that transforms lives. And it causes us not just to rejoice in Mother's Day, which is a sweet day, but to rejoice in all the other new possibilities throughout the course of the year that we get to be involved in. Let's pray. And uh, we will start this morning. Father, we ask that you would help us as we take a look at a few of these questions that quite often come up when it comes to missions. Um, When it comes to sharing our faith and what it means to be a church that is reaching out, we ask that this morning that uh, you would just supernaturally give us eyes to see and hearts, Father, that, that don't just understand but that walk it forward. Help us to live changed lives. I do pray that you would help us to be a place uh, where compassion is on display uh, and where new life uh, is proclaimed, but also seen. Help us to live for that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In your notes, it says uh, we read the scriptures. As we read the scriptures, there's one man that stands out for his passionate walk with Christ and his focus on missions. And that man is Paul. The great apostle endured spiritual, emotional, and physical assaults. He experienced great joys of fellowship with the saints and deep personal pain of rejection. He at times had money, food, a place to rest. Other times he had nothing. Great highs and lows were all a part of God's sovereign plan to transform the man and to leave a legacy. By the way, these are two goals that he has for you and I. The question for today is, what might an interview with this great man look like? If this sounds familiar, I've done a version of this message, but these are questions that we're going to tackle this morning that come up over and over again when we talk about missions. Uh, And they still are uh, the pulse. The way that we have responded to these throughout the last seven years are consistent. And so I wanted to make sure that we answered those, but updated it, uh, understanding what the Lord has allowed us to participate in as a church over this last seven years. The basis for this is out of uh, Romans chapter 15. And I was trying to imagine what it would be like to actually sit down with Paul and hear his heart. What is it that he would say to a church? And quite often, I think, when when I imagine Paul in my mind responding uh, to a question you might have, I I used to picture this gruff, gnarled-up guy and and just almost an irritated response, right? I don't know what you picture when you you think of Paul. Uh, There's a recent movie, I guess, out, uh, so that might uh, flavor the way that you hear the Apostle Paul's voice. But it used to be almost just kind of this gnarled up guy that just didn't really have time for questions. He was going where he was going, um, and you were either with him or you were against him. But the more that I read the Scripture, in particular, I hear Paul's voice in the Scriptures. As he, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing things down, what I hear is a guy that is passionate, 
that has experienced life change himself, and he just cannot wait to share that with other people. In fact, he is so impacted by it, he does have a singular focus, and people that run into him have to choose. Am I going to be with him in that focus, or am I going to drift away? But it's not because of his irritation or his gruffness. It's because he has that singleness of purpose. He is intense, but there is so much grace and so much um, kindness in his words. He is passionate and direct, um, but he shares these things as somebody whose heart is full with the love of God. Romans 15, verses 17 through 21 are the verses that uh, kind of frame the discussion for me. Let's stand as we read that together. Romans 15, 17, it says, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Elysium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. This is an important passage. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Paul is focusing here, and he says this important passage, verse 20, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, so I would not build on another man's foundation. I'm not just going to go and preach to the choir, he said. To people week after week who have already heard the message and can give me an amen, I want to go where they have not heard of Jesus, where they do not know of his forgiveness, where they have not been transformed, where they're still walking in darkness, where the deadness is still evident in everything that they participate in, and hopelessness is written over all of their activities. I want to go and tell them they can be set free, that they can be reconciled, that they can be transformed. And he is filled with this message and says, I love that all of you have been changed, but I'm not just going to sit here and dance with you. I'm going to go and share with some people that need to hear this message. Will you come with me? That's what he's inviting us to. First question that I'd ask Paul that I, we're tackling this morning is, Paul, why are you so passionate about sharing your faith? On your own time, if you read Acts chapter 26, this is the second time in the book of Acts that his testimony comes up as Paul shares it. He's sharing with a couple of leaders significant people in that society, kings, rulers, and he is sharing his faith, and it's a consistent testimony in the book of Acts. He shares it and breaks down that testimony in a way that is accessible to you and I. We can model our sharing after his. Why are you so passionate about sharing your faith? And I believe what Paul would answer is whatever fills our hearts will flow from our mouths. Whatever fills our heart will flow from our mouths. I asked the congregation a short while ago to uh, just stand really quickly and share for a few moments where they were going on their next vacation. At other times, I asked them to share about their favorite hobby. Do you know, I didn't have one person in the auditorium that reached in their pocket and said, hang on, hang on, I have no idea what to say. Uh, and then they pulled out four points and said, oh, yes. I really like football. Football is fun. 
I like when the stadium is loud. You, you didn't have anybody reading that. If they were in love with a sport, it just came out of them. And they didn't care how they lined that out for you. If they missed a point, they'd go back and share it. It was hard to get people to slow down. We were talking about their next trip that they were going on. They were saying, oh, man, I can't wait. I'm going to go here. We've been saving money for this location. We've been getting ready to do this event. My family is looking forward to, and you're filling in the blanks. When it fills you up, you have an easy time sharing, don't you? The point about sharing your faith and why Paul doesn't understand why anybody would be held back from it is, he said, you know, that from the moment that I got knocked off of a horse, from the moment that I got thrown down to the ground, I was transformed, and I can't stop telling people about it. This is the best thing ever. I thought I had it right. I was completely wrong. I was never so chained up as when I thought I was in the right place. He said, I just want to set people free. It fills up his heart. But it's not just about um, something that you love. It's also when you become aware of what life without that could mean. Do you want to hear about healthy eating? You should come join me down in a cancer ward, okay? <laughs> you will have people passionately tell you why you should not eat this or that. They have all kinds of things that, that you should be ingesting. I don't know. I've never been offered more essential oils, <laughs> right? I got oils for miles. I just slide into the house. <laughs> they have all of these things that are uh, super important. When you realize what you could lose, it becomes very important for you to share what it is that will help those things go away. I enjoy fishing. I went down to the McKenzie River, and for the first time ever uh, this last year, on one of the fishing trips uh, that we go on with a, a group of friends and with some of the pastors, one of the guys, in fact, it was my brother, that actually had uh, fallen into the, the river, and the water was so cold, if there were not other men there to help him, he might have gone under. Never in all of our years have we really been concerned about the water. Never. The water's always cold, but we've always been young and for the most part felt like we could outswim the problem. Not so. Many hands are hanging on to him. We get to the side and then uh, the next time that I went down there with my dad, I see all along uh, in all of the shops along that upper part of the McKenzie River, there's actually boards on there and there are PFDs, personal flotation devices that are on there. And do you want to know who it is that pays for a bunch of those? They know every year they're going to get stolen. They replace them. They make sure that at every boat landing there is flotation devices. It's the McKenzie River Guide Association. All of these guides, having watched people fall in and be in an unrecovered state, they say, man, I'm so concerned about that. We'll throw away money to make sure that you're safe. Until you know what it is that you could lose, you don't begin to think about how you can help other people experience the joy without a cost. Paul says, it's filled my heart. It's transformed the way that I see the world. He's passionate about his faith. Another question in the interview with Paul would be, so, so tell me, if you're so passionate about this, should we be focused on foreign missions or should we be focused on our home? Where should we go to share? What should be our emphasis? I believe that Paul's response would be both. We should be focused on both. There's a classic graphic uh, called the 1040 window. And it focuses on basically that Africa and Asia area from 10 degrees uh, north of the equator to 40 degrees north. There is where most of the unreached people groups exist, those who have never heard of Christ. 
right in that 1040 window. One of the hardest places to get into, by the way, as a believer, if you are a believer or a Christian, it's illegal to come in and just evangelize. It's illegal many times to be a white believer in some of those places at all. They just won't let you come in. So here's a place that is filled with darkness. It's also one of the places or the location where you have uh, the population that is the most discouraged, most overwhelmed. Their circumstances um, are unrelenting. Life is hard in the 1040 window. We should be concerned not just about sharing the gospel with them, but also being hands and feet to an area that is desperate for a kind message of any kind. Amen? Amen? We should go there. Natural theology proclaims enough truth. When you are looking around the world, it is evident that there is a God of creation. Amen? He created this world. It proclaims enough truth to condemn, but not enough to save. Three billion people, some say now some estimates, four billion. The numbers keep growing, changing. Our population is growing, and especially in that 1040 window. But over three billion people have never heard of Christ. And the question is, who will go? But an interesting thing, when we think about going to those areas and they're hard to reach, we have to pray, prayerfully consider how we can get in there. But do you know that during the course of the last few years, between 400 and 500 of those unreached people groups are temporarily found in the U.S. for either shelter or education? They send people out of that 1040 window into this location in order to get education, in order to help, uh, or for shelter because of persecution. They're here for a season. And we have an opportunity to be able to tell them of the love of God and send them back into their communities where they are free to go and be able to share. Do you know that in the United States, this is the most shocking thing to me, that as a result of recent surveys, they've discovered this group called the nuns. Have you heard of this? Not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S. The rise of the nuns. That is people who claim no religious affiliation. They may not hate God, but they just don't want to be affiliated with him, and they're not really aware of anybody who impresses them that follows the living God. Do you know that in the United States right now, during this season, where that uh, is going up by 56% every few years, that's a shocking amount. There are 40% of people interviewed, 40% who say they do not know an evangelical. 40% in the United States. Is that crazy? If the label unreached is applied to a location where less than 2% are evangelicals, that is that they proclaim that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection sets them free, that the Bible is the word of God, and that worshiping Christ is the only way to have eternal life. If the label unreached is applied to locations where less than 2% proclaim those things, Utah and Rhode Island right now are unreached, under 2%. In fact, if you look at uh, opportunities, if you're just saying, well, I, I don't know if I'm concerned about Americans, I want to reach unreached people groups, Punjab Sikhs in New York, number 80,000. El Cajon, California is home to Little Baghdad, 60,000 Iraqis who are wanting to hear some other message of hope that they can take back to their land that has been decimated. Detroit has the largest concentration of Arab Muslims numbering in the tens of thousands. That's from Yemen, Iraq, Lebanon, and uh, Palestinians that are displaced. There are 11,000 Somalis that are living in Seattle. 
that are hungry for some message of truth. If you just took a city, one of the most interesting to me is Nashville, the fifth largest metro area for foreign-born people. It has 70 different people groups, 35 having a thousand more in their, or in their population, so they live in neighborhoods together. Many of the unreached people groups in the Nashville area continue their relationships with people in their country. They're sending back money. They are sending back uh, with hope to return to their families. And at least 30 of those people groups in Nashville are unreached. That means that nobody has even gone in to try to reach them with the gospel. That's in Nashville, which when you look at it compared to our other major cities, it's not a major city. It's, about, it's, it's a little bigger than, uh, in my mind, Salem, smaller than Portland. If you're just going to say, okay, well, what about the United States and those that are home? Ten least evangelical states are Utah, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, New Jersey. You see a theme? Connecticut, Maine, New York, and Delaware. Delaware has 7% or less. All the rest of them are around 4% evangelical. 4%. 4 out of every 100 people saying that they believe in Christ. There's work to do at home. There's work to do in the world. The question is, where is it that you're going to invest? If uh, we were to take an unreached people group map, I want you just to notice, we're talking about all these places, and you can see in that 1040 window a lot of dots, right? But if you had time to blow it up, you look over there in North America, and you'll see a little pile of red that's right there around Oregon. There are six different unreached people groups right here in our area. People who need to hear the gospel, who are living in desperate situations, and who need a different message than what they've been living under. Here's the question, an ethic we could live by. If you look around and you see that your neighbor's house is on fire, would it be wrong to not go over and tell them? If you knew they were home, shouldn't you at least check to make sure that everybody is okay? According to Scripture, that's what they're living under. In uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 26, Paul, as he is talking to a church that's a fledgling church, he looks at them and, and he says, I know that I'm about to die. And he says, my heart is aching. He said, but I am innocent of the blood of all men. And he is quoting Ezekiel there. A statement in Ezekiel that said, if you were a watchman on the wall and there was evil that was coming and you saw it as a watchman and did not shout, then the blood of the city is on your head. But if you were a watchman on the wall and you saw that evil was coming and you shout and they don't pay any attention to you, then their blood is on their head. Paul's using that exact phrasing from that statement, being a watchman on the wall and seeing what the next stage of life is for them. And he says, I'm innocent of their blood. I've been shouting to everyone, this is the truth, and this is what sets you free, and this is the warning of what is to come. But there's so many opportunities around us. We need to understand one other thing, and that is a New Testament church is called to care, but we've got to target certain things, right? Right? You should find in a church an actual plan to reach areas that the Lord has opened doors for us to accomplish. Um, you don't flock shoot. That is, there's so many opportunities, you just start throwing money everywhere, right? We should have a target. We should be able to see within our own congregation people whose lives have been changed because of a targeted approach. Another question for Paul. Isn't mission work dangerous? 2 Corinthians, he talks about all the abuse that he has faced, that he is uh, beaten 
Uh, but not discouraged, not overwhelmed, and then everything, God is the one that is the overwhelming conqueror. Amen? Here's a news flash for you. Living shortens your life. Okay? Every day above ground, you're one day closer to the end. Do you know that? I know it's Mother's Day. It's not supposed to be that way. But this is what it is. The question isn't whether or not you'll die. It's what did you live for? This is uh, uh, just a Mother's Day stat for you, okay? The human body contains 10 times as many bacterial cells as it does human cells. Did you know that? 37.2 trillion cells in the human body, which means you are home to 372 trillion bacterial cells. I'm just trying to spike the OCD in the room. <laughs> I have often said that hypochondriacs are the people who are most aware of what really is about to kill us. You should be asking them. They're the ones that are living in reality. The rest of us are ignoring it. What are the chances that you're all going to just start scrubbing your hands right here in the middle of the message, okay? Pretty high. There's a lot of things out there that can get you. Why not live for something that is greater than comfort? All right? We should amen that a little stronger, huh? Why not live for something better than just a clean life and, and comfortable homes and being satisfied, being proud of our accomplishments? <laughs> We're trending up. It's going to be okay. You guys will get it by the end. <laughs> Mission work is dangerous, but God's call is greater. How about this, Paul? But isn't the life that you are describing for advanced Christians only? Isn't that just for those that are elite? Acts 26, 29, once again, when he is sharing his testimony, he looks at one of these kings and he says, oh, I wish that you were just like me except for these chains, that all men we're set free like me. That's what he says. In James chapter 5, when there is a struggle over when somebody is sick and whether or not prayer will actually have any impact on it. By the way, I believe that prayer can change sickness. Do you know that? I feel like that's true. We can clap for that. Yeah, that's a, that's a reality. God can transform your situation. He can reach right into that. But here's the question. He says, is that prayer that changes things only for the super Christians? In James chapter 5, it says that Elijah was a man like us with a nature like us. And he prayed. The only reason the story's recorded is this magnificent thing happens. So we lift up the name of Elijah. But do you want to know that there's great stories sitting right here in this auditorium? God has done transforming work. It's not because of the individual. It always is because of an amazing God that condescends to actually work through us. Usual people, common people. Elijah had crazy hair and a messed up wardrobe, all right? We would have had a hard time hanging out with him. He picks Elijah because he says, look, I can even use this guy. He uses common people. Every single one of us qualify. It's just whether or not we will go. In fact, I use the words, don't be silly. God actually wants all men to experience that close walk. So, Paul, those are all great words, challenging to us. You're spending a lot of time, though, that are in locations that are closed to the gospel. Maybe that's only for a specific group. If you go into closed locations, aren't you encouraging rebellion against governing authorities? Paul, each time, highlights the reason that he would go into places that are closed, and he says he is constrained to share the gospel that others might be set free. 
Eternal matters always outweigh earthly matters. Egypt, Nineveh, Jerusalem, Rome, all closed, right? But when the gospel comes there and explodes, the people are set free and there is transformation. The church was sent to those locations. Peace and respect flow from those who are changed by the gospel. It makes better citizens and it makes better leaders. That's what happens. When you respond to the gospel, we are actually giving medicine that causes people to settle under grace rather than run the opposite direction and become more turbulent, more irritated, more of a bother. Grace settles. It's a good thing. Well, Paul, you're constantly talking about finances. Boy, isn't that true in church? I had somebody I was sharing the gospel with say, well, I'd love to come to church, but I already paid my taxes. I said, man, don't worry about that. Just you come. If God is in this, shouldn't you just trust God and be quiet? And there are some great stories of how men of faith have said, Lord, I'll let you take care of that. We believe that God's the one that holds the purse strings and can take care of things. But I want you to understand why we would talk openly. There's nobody here that is invested in seeing the life change that we're seeing that doesn't want to talk about how awesome it has been and also to talk about the need. We talk about those things that we value and we invest in those things that we value. We already talked about going uh, to Disneyland or going to some other location like that. If you value marriage, you're going to talk about marriage. If you value your vacation, if you value your trips, you're going to talk about those things and you will invest in those kind of things. It should be our joy to participate. It's not just that we talk about the investment, but we get to be a part of what's going on. Isn't this what we want from our kids? When they see a need in the other kids that are in the car, don't you as a parent love to see when that kid, just without being asked, meets the need? What does that do to your heart as a mom on Mother's Day? What does that do to your, your heart as a parent? God has the same exact thing. When we are not asked and we already invest in those things that are of great value, um, his heart is warmed. In fact, I would say this. We have to check our own hearts. If you get irritated by the ask, Mary wasn't wasting Judas's money when she poured her perfume on Jesus' feet. She was pouring out her own gift. We have a lot of people that will have a lot of things to say about how to spend other people's money, right? Let's invest in a community. Let's invest in the lost. Let's invest in doing whatever we can to live transformed lives and proclaim it from the mountaintops. Amen? Amen. And if that takes money, let's throw it away because we're not going to stay here. Do you know that? If you plant your tent pegs too deep, right, it's going to be a shock to you when you pop up in the other place. Let's not stay here like we're camped forever. Let's make sure that we're preparing for eternity. We do that best by letting go of the stuff here. Final question as we're packing our bags to go. What if we fail? In missions, there is always this possibility of failure. And I would have you just for a moment consider what is it in your mind that would equate to failure? What would it mean to fail? I have a couple of graphics for you. What if uh, the Wright brothers had asked this? You know, Orville Wright crashed eight times. And just to make sure that you knew that he was a cat, he actually survived a horrific train accident as well. Nine times his life was in jeopardy. 
He lived through all of those. What if they had stopped? Our ability to do missions is dependent a lot of times on, on just air travel, being able to fly. What if they said, man, this is too crazy. We were meant to only be on the ground. But instead, they were passionate about flying, and all of us are flying around without much concern. Apollo 1, very first Apollo here, we have this failure at the very beginning that cost the lives of the astronauts that were in there. Do you know that there were other Apollo missions, some of them very famous for their also near failure? Other Apollo missions, because space exploration uh, and some of the science that goes along with this, a lot of things that we experience in our daily life are due to advancements that were made as a result of these programs. How about Jim Elliott? We know that famous story of the plane landing there on the beach and them sharing those very first times with a lost tribe that ultimately would, in a crazy moment where they thought it was their spiritual duty to kill them, that the tribe would rise up and kill those missionaries. Later on, the Alka Indians would end up all coming to Christ. You have this whole tribe that responds to the gospel, and now they are looking for ways to share the gospel with the surrounding ones. Others would go in and share the gospel on the heels of that. What is failure? Failure implies that you have a measurable goal. And the question I would ask you as you think about missions or as you think about sharing the gospel in your own life and you say, what if I fail? Was your goal to please God? Was it to impress man or was it to stay safe? If your goal was to stay safe, then you fail when you're embarrassed. If your goal was to stay safe, then we would fail if there's an accident. But if our goal was to please God, and to give him the glory, then whether there's an accident or we aren't received well in one place or another, that's not failure. That's advancement. We have another opportunity to lift up God and to share his kindness with the world. So this morning, I wanted to make sure that we had time for two things. I wanted us to make sure that if you haven't signed up for this uh, over the next three years for one of these locations and you, in your heart, want to go with us on one of these trips where you not only share your faith, but come back energized to make a difference in the community, we want to give you a chance to investigate those and sign up. And the missions booth is still out there. But also for Mother's Day, we want you to be able to grab a flower. We want you to be able to hang out with other family members. We want you to be able to take some photos. And so I want you to make sure that you have time with your mom and with those that are fellowshipping with their mom this morning, that you are able to celebrate this day. But as you go, I want you to just to th to think about a couple of things. As we wrap up our series on missions, first is this. Not everyone is called as a missionary or evangelist. But discipleship requires us to care about the lost. Amen? If you have grown in your faith, you care about those that are around you. Not everyone is called as a missionary. Not all of us are called to go. Some of us are called to send, but we're all called to participate. Another thing I'd have you consider is this question, what is God calling you to do? We have these cards, and this is an opportunity. Our missions is really, in our mind, the capstone of our discipleship. It's where we in, try to teach you this is how you can share your faith on a daily basis. And how you can do it without developing a little list, without being worried about what you're saying. This is an opportunity for you to fall in love with the Lord, and it just comes out of you wherever you are at. That's what we would desire for you. 
This is a three-year missions calendar. What we're doing this year is on here. That's locked in. For the next two years, we're going to have some expanding opportunities, but the opportunities right now that are a guarantee are on this card, and you can get one of those on your way out. I would encourage you to get one of those during the course of this next month. But another thing I would have, that's for our, our missions away, but I still have in my pocket, and I pray that some of you do, I missed my, having my mite with me one day. But this last week, we had an opportunity to uh, be able to share what's going on at the UGM. And uh, during that message, I had talked about the fact that here is this widow that is coming in through all of those people giving her last mite because she was going home to die. She's wondering if God even cares, and yet God was the one that was at that moment looking. He was the only one that cared. He wasn't watching what people give in order to point out what they give. He was watching this widow wondering if anybody saw her. And that might you were supposed to carry with you, not to talk about how much are you giving, but to ask the question, have you lifted your head up to see if there's any need around you in this auditorium, on your way to where you're going, or in your community? Do you care about those that are hurting? That's the call of a believer. Amen? We had an opportunity to invest in what the UGM is doing. If you're still interested in that, we also still have those materials available. Uh, you can participate with them over the next three years to help with their operating costs. I I'm saying that believers can make such an amazing difference that the community around that wants to do something that's politically correct, they're going to have to get in line behind believers, amen, so that we can actually be making a difference. We can be working in a way that actually transforms not just downtown, but proclaims Christ. Will you consider what it is that you should be doing? How will you participate in sharing your faith, being a missionary, though you're planted right here over the years to come? Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you this morning would help us to consider these things, that we would be aware, not just of what it would be like to have a conversation with Paul. That, that's a, a lofty idea. And someday, by your grace, We'll be able to sit and hear from these great leaders from the past. What was it like to live in their day? What was it like to live with passion? But Father, you have told us that we don't have to wait until eternity to discover passion. We right now, filled with your Spirit, can make a difference. We're walking among saints. As we walk out of this auditorium, we're going to be rubbing shoulders with those who can transform our situation that are empowered by you given your message, the truth of the gospel, and a heart to care. Father, I pray that you would use us consistently in our community in a significant way. Help us to reach the lost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.